listening to From Maker to Manufacturing, a podcast about what it really takes to grow a handmade business. guys, welcome to episode one of From Maker to Manufacturing. I'm your host, Sarah Cooley. Today's episode guest is Kristen Pumphrey, the founder and creative director of PF Candle Company. PF Candle Co. is a candle company based in Los Angeles, California, and Kristen and I have known each other pretty much since I started my business in 2012. We finally got a chance to meet last year and I hung out at her amazing studio space. In this interview, Kristen and I talk about growing a business quickly, how to handle cash flow, managing employees, and what it means to be a sustainable business. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation, and let's get into the interview. Kristen, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Yay. Okay, so um, this is our first episode ever, and I thought it would be extremely fitting to have you, another candle maker, on with me, and um, I'll give you a little background as to why. One of the things that made me want to start this podcast was I think that people do a lot of comparing themselves to other people in the industry. And sometimes it's a very unfair comparison because that person is farther ahead than you are. And when I first started making candles, it just felt like I was starting. I didn't know any other candle companies other than like the huge national chains. And I started kind of getting involved with the community on Instagram and your stuff started to pop up. And for me, of course, it's the first time I'm finding out about you. So it seems like this company came out of nowhere. And I started to feel like, <laughs> hey, she's got all of this other stuff that I don't have. And, and I want all of that stuff. And it really took me going to your website and reading your bio and learning about how long you had been in business and how long you've actually been making candles for me to realize, okay, it's just unfair for me to compare myself to her at this point in time. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that it gets in people's heads a lot. So I like to break things down and, and let people know, you know, overnight successes are not as as easy as you think they are. People don't come out of nowhere. It's that's not how it really works. And just because you just discovered their work doesn't mean they haven't been working on it for a really long time. So for those of you who don't know, why don't you introduce yourself to our Wonderful listeners. Hopefully there are people listening on episode one. We'll see. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm the founder and creative director of PF Candle Co. So we make uh, soy candles. We're based out of Los Angeles. And kind of our signature look is this really utilitarian packaging style. We really try to go for a unisex vibe with all of our scents. And that's kind of what I would say is our look in general. Um, I did start Pump Freeds a long time ago, though. The candle line wasn't actually launched until 2012, the way that it looks today. And I was making a lot of different things before then. So people say, oh, you've only been making these candles since 2012. I'm like, yeah, but I was scrapping along, <laughs> like making all different types of like different types of soy candles, different types of products that were had nothing to do with candles. So it's been a long journey, definitely. What do you consider the founding year then? Is it 2008? I consider 2008. That's the year that I moved to Austin and I said, I'm going to start a business. And I started the business that was Palm Frites. So we actually, it's kind of interesting when you think about it. We launched the candle line with the exact look that it has today in 2012. And then I actually incorporated the business in 2014. So we have a few different dates where we started everything, but I consider the launch of the business and the incorporation or the start of it 2008. Okay. So from 2008 until the launch of what the candles look like today, you were definitely making candles during that time. So what was kind of the main product mix, you know, for those years where, where you were in Austin? 
I made candles that a lot of them were um, pillar candles that were kind of shaped or molded. So I'd find these old vintage molds on eBay and pour in those. Another candle that I did was using old glassware from a restaurant, but I kind of had a finite supply of that just because mm-hmm. it was like, I was literally asking my manager, hey, can you save these candles for me at the end of the night? And I'm going to take them home and re- melt them out and then re-pour. That's why I decided to start launching a line in a jar that was free. You could get it and get it again. But the, actually the main part of my business that we had some, we were known for was these hollow book safes. So I'd take old books and I'd hollow the inside out with a saw and then I'd make them for flasks, for cash, just to hide your jewelry. And we really had some good traction with those online. I had good retail sales. However, when it came time to try and wholesale them, I had not priced them in a good way. And it was just not able to scale in a way that kept it viable for longer than just Christmas time. So that's kind of when the candle started taking off because I realized, hey, I can make this product. It's handmade, but I can make more than one at a time. I can make eight at a time or a hundred, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's why we focus on the candles. It's interesting that you learned that whole wholesale pricing lesson with a different product because I think when people yeah. learn it with their own product first, it's harder to make that adjustment. I know you guys have gone through a few price changes, but nothing like really drastic as just straight up doubling your prices because, oh, wow, this is really my wholesale price, not my retail price. Well, it actually was something where the original price that I sold it for was kind of arbitrary. I just kind of said, that seems like a good price, you know, (laughs) and I didn't do my, I didn't do my cost of goods evaluation. I didn't do a multiplier or anything like that. Um, It just worked out that we were able to grow into that price and we raised it uh, $2 about a year and a half ago so that we can have that price for a couple years to come. We're not kind of raising it a little bit, little bit, you know, but it is hard because, you know, it doesn't necessarily get cheaper for you along the way. You might be able to get cost of goods getting cheaper, Mm -hmm. but our labor gets more expensive and then inflation, obviously. So you want to always make sure your prices, you know, I don't know, it works in different ways. That makes me feel a lot better because I think when I first saw your prices, I had done a cost of goods evaluation on what I was making. And I was like, I don't understand. I don't understand. (laughs) How is this possible? (laughs) Yeah, I was in the beginning. It didn't it didn't work. Definitely. The pricing didn't work. And we had to grow into that pricing. Like I like our margins now, but we've we also order like in the thousands now versus ordering like one box of 50 pound wax or even like one bag of 10 pound wax, you know, then my costs were not good back then. (laughs) That growing from the first time I saw a 50 pound box of wax, I think my reaction is like, this is going to last forever. Oh, for sure. (laughs) And now it's like, we're not even at the level you are, but still we're ordering, you know, 300, 400 pounds a week, whatever it is. It's like, you first going from those like 10 pound bags to then that box. Oh man, such a jump. It's so crazy. So how did you learn to make candles? And like, why did you, why did you start making candles? Cause I feel like you have a more of a history with candle making where when people ask me that question, I'm like, I don't know, somebody told me I should make them. And then I figured out how to do it. <laughs> I love that. Well, I learned to make candles when I was really young. My sister, um, she had done a home ec fair. I think she was maybe in her first year of high school or last year of middle school. And she got just a make your own candle kit from Michael's and was pouring candles into all these different vessels. I still remember this one she made that was so cool. It was an old Chinese takeout container and she poured the candle in there with this red wax and it just looked awesome. So when she was kind of done making the candles for the home ec there, I, of course, little sister style snuck up on it and was like, oh, I'm going to make something like this. <laughs> and throughout high school, I would just, you know, pour little pillar candles for my boyfriend's mom or my cousin, you know, and it ended up being something when I got really into the DIY movement. I think it was around 
2006, that's when I said, hey, I know how to make candles already. So I'll just get my old equipment from my mom's house. I still had like a pitcher. I had this one pot that my dear mother gave me and like sacrificed for the candle making. (laughs) It was like this beautiful pot. I know now it was a beautiful pot, you know, but it, it, I just ruined it. I still have it actually. So I got all that equipment and started making candles in my apartment in Brooklyn. And then that's kind of when I said, when I wanted to actually sell them, kind of what came first was actually the idea of having a business. And it wasn't kind of the hey, I'll sell this item. It was that I wanted to have a business and I said, I'll sell all these items and I know how to make candles. So I'll throw them in there, you know? When you had that idea of, I want to start a business, did you have anybody, you know, like entrepreneurial in your family that you could go to or did you start off with a business plan, really structuring it that way from the beginning? Or was it just, hey, I want to start a business. That sounds fun. And then off to the races. (laughs) I wish that it was like a business plan and really thought it out because I know that I really did want to start a business, but I really kind of was winging it. I had worked at a craft magazine and at the magazine, I met a lot of other makers or wrote articles about other makers who were making a living more or less running their business. And I was really inspired by them. I'd read a ton of books and all every article you could get your hands on that was like how to run a DIY business, you know, (laughs) Etsy, Etsy was becoming a thing. So they obviously had a ton of articles, but there was no business plan. (laughs) It was definitely just sort of, I'm going to sell this, you know, and I'm going to make this and it, it kind of worked out. When you decided to kind of refocus in 2012, what was the, was it more like just wanting, just realizing like, oh, this could really scale, you know, I could grow this, I could make a lot of these. Um, And at that point, was there more thought of who your customers were going to be or or more of a a structure for the business in mind? I think that there was a real turning point when my husband came on board because it was no longer just me kind of like I was saying, winging it in my to my second bedroom. Um, I had realized that candles were something that could scale and had gotten the opportunity to have a really big order from West Elm. And I taught Tom the year, the Christmas prior, how to make candles since we were really busy during the holiday season We were literally making candles in our bedroom, not just the second bedroom. It was like the whole (laughs) side of the bedroom was lined with candles. It was was a family affair. So when Tom came on board, he had knowledge that although he'd never run a business or anything, he'd worked at Best Buy for a lot of years. So he had a little bit more of a corporate knowledge and used like what I always call processes. And he'd kind of say, well, why don't you use like you have to follow this process this and that. So although there wasn't a business plan that came into play, because there was that added kind of pressure of a second person on board, it really caused me to kind of straighten up and get things in order, you know, versus just, it didn't just affect me anymore. Did you fulfill West Elm out of your second bedroom in your house? (laughs) No, we moved to, um, the studio, like a studio in order to do that order. That's actually the order that we took the chance on moving to a studio for in anticipation of getting it. I did fill an order for terrain out of the second bedroom of my apartment. My UPS guy hated me. (laughs) He would get, I'd get these boxes of jars and they'd be the biggest boxes. They're like 60 pound boxes and they're taped together horribly. And he'd be delivering them. Like it was like the third story. He's just like, oh, my God, you're killing me. (laughs) So that was fun. Wow. Wow. Okay, so you had to take this jump, this like leap of faith. Were you already talking to West Elm? And then how did they find you? It was a really lucky way that they found us. Um, We had done a pop-up in conjunction with Etsy at West Elm. And... Mm -hmm. We'd been posted, the West Elm store that we did it at had posted us on Instagram. And this is back in the day of Instagram where people still use. What year is this? 2013. 
So people are still using like Instagram filters and like, you know, the thing where it uh, makes it fade out at the edges. (laughs) I'm fully, I was definitely, I scroll back away in the Instagram. I did it. I did it, but it's not good. Oh, wow. Mine is like, wow, it really was a trend. So basically what happened is that we had gotten posted on the West Elm LA page and the VP of merchandising for West Elm, I guess, was looking at the photos from the event. He commented on one of our pictures, how would you like to be sold at West Elm stores? And I remember receiving the comment when I was out at dinner after the pop-up, and I was like, this is fake. Like, this is not (laughs) – who is this guy? And I look him – I'm out at dinner, but I'm still looking him up on LinkedIn, and it confirms his – whole story who he is so I write back to him and I'd say yeah I'd really like that can I get your email address and I kind of connected with him via email he connected me with the buyer so basically the kind of what happened is he said to the buyer hey I want to pick up this candle line and we want to mass out all 10 cents and isn't this great and the buyer I don't think felt the same way so (laughs) the buyer was like okay, like my boss just dumps this candle line on me. But I was relentless in my pursuit of this buyer. I went through Mm -hmm. two buyers actually in the process. So in May, I think was when I first started talking to them. And we didn't get the order until September. So it took a very, I think the actual pop up was in April or March. Um, But the buyer when we actually started talking, we actually redesigned our label for them and everything. But it took a really long time of trying to convince them that we're the right choice. We'll do this for you. We'll jump through all these hoops. And during that whole process, that's right around when we were getting married. And Tom kind of said, if you get the order, I'll make the candles. So I was just like, I got to get that order. Like, it would just be (laughs) life-changing for us, you know? So looking back after, you know, I know what it's like going through fulfilling stuff like that, but... Was it life-changing or was it worth it? Yes. Those are two different questions. Those are two different (laughs) questions. Let's be be honest. Yeah. It was life-changing. It was insane. It was basically, you know how when you work with these really big stores, it's kind of the old adage, hurry up and wait. So you're getting done everything really, you're getting done with everything really fast, but you're waiting and waiting and waiting for them to put the actual PO in when you know the final numbers. And we finally got the order, but had four weeks to complete it. And we, it was for, it was for 4,000 candles. And the most we were making a day at that point was 120, maybe 240 if we pushed ourselves. So doing the math on it, we were just like, how can that? possibly worked. So it worked by just working like 30 days in a row, nonstop. I bribed a friend in pizza to come help me label. Like our nephews came and helped us pack the order. And Mm -hmm. it was definitely a really intense time too, because we were newlyweds. So it was like, hey, throwing the newlyweds into the fire of working 30 days in a row, moving into a studio apartment together. So it was it taught me so much about myself and how to really work and what that looks like and do i was i happy to do it oh my god i would do it again definitely <laughs> it was the thing that it was the thing that allowed us to really kind of jump off from just kind of being an artist or being a maker to being a full blown business cuz we took the money that we got from that order and reinvested it in the business and incorporated the business and hired our first employees. And that was really a turning point for us. That's so funny. It, it almost mirrors the dates like exactly to our Nordstrom order. And it's like, you know, it's going to be a lot, but they won't tell you how many it is going to be. So then you don't start making them. Our advice is just start making them as soon as you think that maybe something's going to happen, because re- regardless, you'll sell the what you don't know now it, or like at the time is you'll sell the product anyway, right? It'll get yes. sold, especially if you're talking about an August, September, like you'll sell it. You're not going to be mad you have extra inventory going into holiday if for some reason the order doesn't come through. But when you do get it and then you have four or five weeks to fulfill 
and you do that that calculation in your head. I mean, I did the exact same thing. It was like, oh, we have to make three hundred a day. We can't make <laughs> three hundred a day. What? You know, it was it was exactly the same. So it's good to know that like all experiences are not unique. And uh, yeah, these these larger companies there, they operate the same way. They require so many different people to approve POs and and. The email chains are legendary. <laughs> I'm Why looking this person 20 <laughs> people need to be on this email is beyond me. But <laughs> but it's it's worth it for a couple reasons, like you said, right? It, it it legitimizes your business, but it gives you a certain amount of faith in yourself, right? When it's done. Absolutely. I, I did this. I didn't die. Okay. Like, here we go. Um, so one question I have is when you were, you know, you said you used the money from that order to reinvest into the business, but where did you get the money to make the order? We basically were living off student loans and the meager amount that I brought in from the business for years. And I had money in savings as well that, it was basically for the rainy day fund. And you saw the savings account just dwindle down and dwindle down and dwindle down till I was like, there's just nothing in it anymore. And that West Elm order was when we used up the rest of the savings account. The student loans were done since Tom had graduated. So it was really, honestly, it was a really hard time because we had to order thousands and thousands of items, but you may only have a couple hundred dollars in the bank. And you have to make the decision of, okay, if I take this money out of my savings account and buy $1,000 worth of wax or something like that, am I going to be able to make $1,000 to pay my rent before I get that money back? You know, So it was a really difficult time since we had to order such large quantities. I think I definitely maxed out some credit cards too. <laughs> I was like begging the <laughs> bank, begging the bank for credit line increases wherever I could, even though I had terrible credit, you know, so it was a lot of patching things together. I was lucky to have a, a savings account to fall back on in that case. Mm -hmm. So it's possible. I think when you're making the jump from smaller boutique orders to a, a one really big order, that's the really hard jump to make in terms of money, like a lot of other things you can patch together, but doing a multi-thousand unit order, that's just hard because you got to buy that up front, you know? Mm -hmm. The the inventory, just the all your raw materials, it all comes at once. And yep. like you said, you're, if it takes you four weeks to make it, your, your net, net 30 or net 45 or whatever terms they have you on, you know, they don't start until the day they get them. So yep. it, it's really like net 90 when you started four weeks before <laughs> you shipped it. And then, you know, so the cash has to come from somewhere. For me, it was different. I did not have a savings account. And the business was, we, we were still fulfilling, you know, other wholesale orders at the time. And um, there wasn't enough time to really go to the bank. I also don't have great credit. I had to go to my parents. They had to take out a home equity line on their house. And at first I said, if I can't do this, maybe it's not the right time to do it. Thankfully, my parents believed in me enough and said, you know, you got the order. The money will be back in our account in two, three months. Your margins are fine. It's just making it. Thankfully, there was somebody there to take the leap of faith with me. But I think people really underestimate how expensive it's really going to be. It takes a lot of cash. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Honestly, even the thing was after we filled that order, it then went right into holiday time and you have to have inventory on hand. So you're basically playing, I don't know, chicken with your bank account for a while where you're <laughs> like, okay, I got to place this order for these raw materials. I really got to get this boutique to pay so that I can place this order or I got to transfer this PayPal money to this bank account in order to play in order to pay it. So it is I think, think actually that period is longer than you would think it would be. Oh, oh yeah. Especially if this is like if you're going into holiday, I don't think we got out of it that feeling until like January from this year. Like Oh yeah. What I didn't do when I got the order was look at the total number of everything and say, okay, I need to order this much, you know, of this, this much of this, and just order it all up front. Because like you said, you are really playing this cash flow game. 
it felt like every day we ran out of something else. You ran oh, out of yeah. wax. You ran out of wicks. You ran out of warning labels. You ran out of top labels. Every day it was something. And from that point on, as soon as we had enough cash to say, I'm never running out of this again, as soon as it gets below the certain point we're ordering it, knowing that you'll sell it, knowing that this is just what life is going to be like now, I think that's the biggest shift that makes you change the way you operate your business. You're just thinking in a completely different mindset now. And that's, I think, been the biggest beneficial thing for us was, wow, okay, this is a different company now. This is a this is a real business. Yeah. Was that the same moment for you or did it take a while along, you know, another another moment when you when you hired other people besides Tom to feel like, oh, we're like running a real company now. The funny thing is we were running a real company, but I did not realize it for like a long time. <laughs> I I kind of was actually thinking about this. And I think the moment that I re- realized I was running a real company is the moment that my employees started treating me like the boss. And I, I was like, wait, I'm the boss. This is crazy, you know? Um, I mean, it's it's a shift of when we first started hiring people. And I think what we really viewed it as is that we were artisans and then the people we hired were going to really be our assistants. And we were just growing so rapidly that that quickly came to a point where that just couldn't happen anymore. And we had to train the assistants to be kind of the managers and to be doing the thing on their own, not just helping us make the candles or helping us process the orders. So there was a real shift in that. But the great thing is that we found some really amazing people and they were able to get in on the ground floor with us. And now the people that started and were our, you know, that where you have your hand in all the pots. So the guy that processed the e-commerce orders, then he was wholesale shipping. And then he was, I don't know, customer service. Now he's our art director. And he really also still manages retail. We're, <laughs> we're not out of the multi, you know, multi thing yet. But it's amazing to be able to grow people and have the opportunity to have your business make a living for someone other than yourself like that's insane to me when you have that that moment that you realize that you've hired people and been able to instill in them a passion that they are they care just as much about the product as you do I think it's a just like an amazing moment to to just step back and realize wow this person cares just as much as I care if not more sometimes and this is like what you what you've built, you know, and I think I came to visit you guys right after you'd moved into your new space. And it was definitely overwhelming for me to like see the scale. But at the same time, it was so amazing. And it's an amazing yeah. feeling to give people a job that they love. They love to come to work and they love what they do. That's the most amazing feeling. I would definitely agree. I never it's funny because I'm like, yeah, now that I see the path that I'm on, I'm like, that makes total sense looking back in retrospect. But my last job where someone else paid me and it wasn't just PF was a host at a restaurant. So that's quite a shift going from being kind of bottom of the totem pole at a restaurant to being someone's manager and being someone's boss. And it's taught me immensely about myself as well as about other people. And I'm always trying to improve myself when it comes to being a manager and when it comes to communicating, you know, so you never stop growing. Yeah, that's true. What, speaking of growing, what do you think has been the most difficult thing with how quickly you guys have grown? Because how many, so how many total employees are you now? So we are 20 people now. What? (laughs) (laughs) So we were two people um, in the beginning of 2014. We had a friend who helped us part time. So it was like two and a half people, you know, so it's oh it's grown goodness. a lot. So so two years, two to 20 people. Yeah, the most difficult. There's a couple of things about scaling so fast. that are so difficult. Obviously, the financial stuff that we've talked about, that's incredibly difficult for a long time because you when you have the pressure of paying someone's paycheck it's you can't fail you know you can't have money in that bank account the second part of it has been though growing with the employees and that's been a whole new chapter for us so 
we're really focused this year since I'm about to leave on maternity leave on making sure that the business can function without us now. So if we step out, it's not like everything falls to pieces. And luckily we have an amazing management team in place now that can really run the business well. And we're kind of trying to talk to them about why we make the decisions that we make so that they can make the same informed decisions for themselves if we're out of the office. I had the experience recently of like going home for like a week and I came back and it was like, why do I even need to be here? Like it was amazing to orders got processed and candles got made and shipped out and people paid their invoices. And, you know, it it was like, okay, we can do this and, and grow, but it's definitely, it's definitely still difficult. And I think that I'm prepared for, especially on the financial side, for it to be difficult for a number of years still. Like, I don't think it's going to get easier anytime (laughs) soon. I think the tricky thing for me is there were tasks that people had to just pry out of my hands because I just really felt either the project was my baby, like, okay, running Instagram. That's kind of the last thing that I still really work on. And I do a ton of the content for Instagram, but I started saying, okay, other people put your pictures in. And now I don't actually post the pictures. We have a marketing assistant who actually posts the pictures, which frees up my time to do other things. But you do have to let things go is what I've learned. And other people can do things as well as you can do them. You just have to trust them and know, trust yourself that you're going to train them well enough to do it, you know? I think I'm good at giving certain things up, but I, like, obviously, I, I don't think I, I couldn't give up our Instagram yet because it's so, it is so personal, but I could tell when you guys gave up yours, even though I didn't talk to you about it, just because the frequency increased so much, right? It was just consistency and frequency, and that's what marketing should be, and so if you're finding that you're not able to do that, then yeah, it's time to find somebody who can help you. And it's not going to be inauthentic. It's not all of the things that like, I think we fear that is going to happen. If you've hired the right people and they know the brand and they know you and and they care about the product and your customers as well, it's not going to be any different than if you were doing it yourself. Yeah. And I think that that's something important to to realize and remind yourself. (laughs) You have to constantly remind yourself of that, though. The last things that just came out of my hands, Tom took off my plate, was doing admin work, like bookkeeping and running the payroll. And you would think that I'd be stoked for that to come off my hands because it's like the boring stuff. But I still felt it was something that I had done that made me feel very valuable in the company. And taking that off my plate, I was kind of like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do now with my free time? You know, so it's it's kind of a journey that never ends is what I've discovered. Something that I think is, is interesting or that I've always kind of wondered when, when you're a company like yours that has grown so quickly, have you had any kind of difficulties in getting the bank, your landlord, um, other business people that you have to interact with to take you seriously to understand Hey, I mean, when I first started, I was looking for a, a space and I was like, yeah, I have a candle company. I, I think the expression on people's faces is, oh, that's cute. Oh, the oh, that's cute or oh, good for you type of thing. Oh, my and goodness. then <laughs> they get it definitely is difficult to get people to take you seriously, especially if you're kind of doing a company on your own because you're of an alternative lifestyle or something like that. So my whole team that works here, no one's coming in and business casual, you know, we're all kind of wearing vans and there's people skateboarding through the warehouse. So getting people to take you seriously when it comes to having someone who's actually corporate is sometimes difficult. And hopefully what we think is that they see the charm in what we do and that, I don't know, maybe they just think we're like a cool candle company. Oh, this is so funky, you know? Um, But I definitely had an experience where we went to this packaging conference not that long ago. And we looked around and there were so many white middle-aged men there wearing khakis and blue button downs. And we're walking through like this ragamuffin crew. And so many of the so many of the booths would not even really stop to talk to us because they just kind of assumed that either we didn't have money or, 
you know, we weren't sort of their traditional market, but it's something that I hope, you know, will never change about us. I don't want to ever want that heart about who we are to change. So there are days though, like when I go to the bank, I'll dress up, I'll wear my heels, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know it, I'm not, I don't think that it's something that, you know, you should have to change about yourself, but it's, um, it's something that I find so shocking still, like in this day and age, especially being a woman, you have to just impress them with your with your intelligence and then hopefully with your bank account. Just with I think that sales fix all problems. If you're like, yeah, but we did this much this past year, then it 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 shuts up somebody at the bank who is looking down to you pretty quickly if um you're just able to prove them wrong before they've even doubted you. But it's it's tough. For sure. And definitely on that tip of being a woman business owner, it's something I'm really sensitive to. I don't feel I've experienced a ton of discrimination um, when it comes to talking with kind of people outside, but I'm always on the lookout for it. I'm always kind of, you know, when someone walks in the front door and says, oh, can I talk to the business owner? I'll definitely be like, yeah, that's me. Like, why wouldn't I be the business owner, you know? And it's, I... I am extremely proud to be a woman CEO, which there's not that many of us, you know, and that's something that even though the business is my husband and I, it's still something that we want to keep at the core. We're all about empowering women and a lot of our leadership roles, I'm really proud to say are held by women. And we just, there's not maybe necessarily as many chances a lot of times. And I'm going to do my little part to make that happen. Okay, so what do you think, I think with social media, there's definitely a veil, let's say, over, you know, a lot of the realities of running a business. It's easy to think everything is shiny and and happy. And if, I mean, if you were to, if you were to take reality, going by PF Candles Instagram, everything is sunny windows, succulents and candles burning. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, nobody's mad at at all. I love that. I, I will say legitimately there are that many plants in my life, though. I have an obsession. <laughs> I have way too many plant babies. So that part is 100% real. <laughs> no, and I know it is. But it's so funny because do, do you think that there's a big misconception that people have about, about your business or that kind of social media gives people about starting a business or running a business? I think that one of the, a group of people who have a misconception about that when they see the way we're presented on social media is sometimes potential employees because you don't show the, the dirty parts of the business necessarily where you're working your ass off all day and Sometimes we get applicants for a production assistant, which is a really physically intensive job. And our production assistants are on their feet most of the day. They're lifting 50-pound boxes all day long. We say it's really more like a service industry or even a cooking job than it is kind of there was a time period where people thought it was, this is so relaxing, making candles, and it's just this really nice. I'm like, yeah, you're also sweating. You're in Los Angeles. You're hot. So there is that aspect of it. And I think we've actually been talking about this lately, Tom and I, because you realize that you want to present your company as bigger than yourself when you're really small. You don't want it to be apparent that it's just you running around because you want people to take you seriously. But when you're bigger, there has been as we've been growing that we want to stay connected to people and to our customers and to people that follow us on Instagram. So we definitely try to show smaller aspects. Like I still want to show always production shots, but then there's issues where people don't realize the size that you are and they don't realize how much you've grown because you're not sitting there going, well, we make this many candles a week and here's our warehouse, you know? So it's, mm -hmm. we're really trying to find a balance now. It's, it's tricky. I think that when you see, the production shots, it's easy for people who are just starting out to think, oh, okay, so this is, I have to go get this melter and I have to start doing it this way. And you you don't have to do it that way just because, you know, Kristen's doing it that way. I mean, I learned how to set up our studio from your Instagram. 
Oh but my gosh, that's so at funny. At the same time, at the same time, I didn't have a real melter. Let's just, I mean, I was using a, what are those, like the the rigged deep fryer thing <laughs> that only can hold like four pounds until, no joke, September of this year. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> we could that's do a amazing. lot of candles with that little thing. I'm not kidding. Yeah. You don't, don't feel pressured to like, you know, really good. Go out there and get the all the official stuff. I mean, we use we use cooling racks now, but we didn't use them until yeah. we had to use them for Nordstrom. You know, we didn't don't don't really push yourself until you feel like okay, we can't get this done without it because those startup costs can really be a hindrance if you feel like I have to get this a thousand dollar melter, and you know you're not gonna you're not gonna use it. It's not gonna be full most of the time. Like if you're just starting out, you don't need it. Trust me. Um, you do probably want to switch from doing a double boiler on the stove, but like you can yeah. move to something that can hold ten pounds and you'll be okay. One of those little things that we did where in the beginning, like you're saying the startup costs, they're real. And when we used to set our wicks into place, there's these little metal things you can buy to keep the wicks in place. And I think they were probably 59 cents a piece or something like that. And that was just too expensive to buy the amount that we needed. So that's why we started using clothespins. And that's actually one of the most commented things on our Instagram. Whenever we show a picture of our production, People are always tagging their friends and saying, oh, my God, clothespins. And I'm like, is this bad that I'm just giving away this trade secret that we had? But it also is a reality. You know, we can't show our production without showing the materials that we use. And it's all because I was just too cheap to buy <laughs> the metal shims that you use. I'd much rather buy the pack of clothespins that's $2.99 for $100 or for 100 you know? It's so funny because every time someone tags someone in one of my photos like just tags them without anything I have this like little mini panic inside like I want to know like well what does that mean what are you saying do you like it are you trying to steal it are you happy do you want to buy one do you want to rip it off I don't know and I go through this like existential crisis every single time people just leave some context please we would really appreciate it we need the context in the Instagram captions, okay? Because it's terrifying <laughs> us. And the other day someone commented, they just said, she just texted somebody, she said, we should make these. And I was just like, uh, what? That's, <laughs> That's so that funny. happens all the time though. And as we've kind of grown, it's funny because you'll kind of look sometimes at who likes your photos and I see a lot of candle companies that follow us, you know, and I know that we have been an inspiration to people who are just starting out. And I never really intended to set my business up to be kind of like inspiring people. But you know what? That's a great side effect. And once you kind of swallow the fact when you do get that tag where they're just tagging their friend and you look at their page and you're like, oh, you're, you're making some candles. Oh, they're in the same jar as mine. You know, once you kind of move past that, it's it's kind of an awesome thing because it means that it's not just about, you know, the product anymore. It's about the community that you're creating. And that's pretty awesome. I think you guys were one of the first companies to really put the process out there and, and to be the size that you are, which is a decently medium sized candle manufacturer. I mean, like Illume is not putting their stuff out there. Like, no, if you wanted to start a company, you don't have anywhere to go to. If this is what you want to make, you look at other people that are, are making it. And I think it's true to not really. I, I've just noticed in the last like maybe six months, more and more candle companies follow us now. Um, it's weird. It's really weird. Um, but I realized that I did the same thing. I mean, I did it with I did the same thing with you. and And it was very inspirational and never in a malicious way. I think people do need to be careful. Um, I unfollowed you guys for a period of time because I was just like, I can't constantly be influenced by like the sense that they're developing or like it was too much. It was too subliminal. So I think that if, if people, you know, there's, there's a certain, to a certain extent, should you be inspired by other people? You, you have to realize that you are inspirational to other people. And that's an interesting thing to kind of struggle with where you're just trying to like be in your own lane and grow your own business. But, you know, it's affecting other people and people are very, you know, inspired by what you guys have been able to accomplish. Nobody else is out there showing how do you scale a candle company? And 
I showed my dad pictures of your studio after I came to visit and I was like, look, I'm not crazy. It was, it was literally that, like we could do this too at some, (laughs) not tomorrow, but you know, maybe eventually we'll also have a 10,000 square foot studio. Not anytime soon, but. (laughs) Okay. Parents though are very like, my mom is finally like, oh, I see what you're doing for the longest time. She was so confused, like what are you doing with this candle company, you know? And it, as it's grown, now she comes and looks at the warehouse or kind of, I mean, obviously she takes advantage of free candles. So she's our number one fan. She also buys candles online sometimes and buys so many candles. And I'm like, mom, you, I could give you candles. And she's like, I can't wait. But it, there's definitely that moment of, you know, making my mother proud you know, I especially, I studied something completely, I didn't study business in college, I studied acting. And when I was about to graduate, I told my parents, I don't actually want to be an actor anymore. And I'm going to go pursue writing, magazine writing. And it was a really hard thing for them to swallow, because they're just like, we just put you through college, this is really difficult. And now they've really kind of seen how it all connects together. And that's been very rewarding. I think making your parents proud is something that's, it's so, you underestimate how important it is to you until you have that validation. And then you're like, wow, I really needed this for like a long time. You know, thankfully when my parents, my parents finally got on the train when I said, I'm moving to Michigan. And uh, I think my dad was already on the train, but my mom was definitely like, I can see this. I see this now. I see how this is something that's going to be, you know, a real business. And looking back, she's now able to say, you know, you were always like this. You always liked to sell stuff and make stuff. And you always wanted, you always wanted to run a business. I complain now sometimes about like, oh, I'm traveling so much. But if I'm honest with myself, I always wanted a job where I traveled a lot. I always wanted to be the boss. I always wanted all of these things. And I shouldn't complain now just because they're hard when ultimately it's still it's still everything that I ever wanted. Sure, absolutely. And it's it's so it's so exciting to realize that like you've achieved this goal and like the ride is only just beginning and it's going to get, you know, so much more exciting. <laughs> Definitely. Well, hopefully, never know. Stay tuned, guys. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> What's something that you wish you could tell other aspiring small business owners, whether they're candle makers or not, what's something you really wish you could help them to understand? I think that, you know, something that's really important to know is that you should create, if you're a product-based company, or I mean, I guess even not, even if you're service-based, is look for the hole in the market and then fill it. Don't try to be kind of the next so-and-so, I realized that it's kind of, as we've been thinking about developing a new line, we're developing this new line that's a totally different vessel and we're, the scents are kind of, we're going different directions and it is a little bit scary because you're worried that people aren't going to like it and there's not, if there's nothing out there in the market that validates that people like it, you're taking a flyer. But if you create something that's already existing in the market, it's going to be that much harder for you to really make a mark for yourself. Like something I love about your company is that I think your look, obviously our looks are so different and that really allows us to support each other and create a better kind of candle community versus it is harder for you to support somebody who's doing something that looks just like yours, you know, just because you're like, you are my direct competition. And I think that if you think about that from day one, really kind of assessing and being brutal with yourself and saying, what can I create that doesn't really exist yet? Or if it does exist, I can do it better. You know, Mm -hmm. that's when you're really going to have something that will take off. And the second thing I would say is that people really get freaked out about marketing for some reason. And it's, you got to have the business first. I think, you know, you got to have the product, you got to have the business running in order to be able to market it. And don't freak out about what to post on Instagram and when to post it. And should I be taking out ads? It's going to be okay. 
Like, <laughs> it's going to be okay if you miss that Instagram post. It's going to be okay if it doesn't do as well as you want. It's definitely something that hopefully can enhance your business, but it shouldn't be everything about it. It's funny because I think that one of the reasons people freak out about marketing is because they're freaking out about sales. And they think that marketing will fix their sales. And the truth is, marketing will help your sales. But if there are no sales there to begin with, it's probably a product problem. Absolutely. You should fix your product first. <laughs> and then, not to be, that sounds so rude now that I just said that out loud. But, um, I know what you mean, though. You should. But really I mean, focus a good product a will great, sell itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that that's where things like, you know, craft fairs and stuff, it, it helps you to understand your market. It helps you to understand your best sellers. It helps you to just get the stuff in front of people and see, do people even want to walk over to your table? You know, just, just don't play so much of the comparison game, but be more introspective about your business and where it's at and, and how sales are doing and, and see if you can fix some of those problems before you try to go. You could spend all your money on Facebook ads all day. Yes. But it's not going <laughs> to... And we do sometimes. Um, it's not going to fix, you know, it's not going to fix a bad product. I think that something that you have to have, I don't know if you agree with this, but from my perspective is that you have to be kind of deeply stubborn and just like unwilling to ever give up if you're a business owner and you're just going to have so many setbacks and so many times where you feel defeated even in like our stage of the game where we're working with big companies and things are running well, there are times where I feel really defeated by something and you just can't let it stop you ever. And that comparison that we've been talking about where you're comparing yourself to other people, it's, it really can be dangerous because you just kind of say, this person has it so much easier than me or why can't I do that? But in reality, kind of my stubbornness of just refusing to ever give up, even when I probably should have at certain times, is something that got me through. And that's not something that I think, I think you have to have that and you have to just really believe in it, you know? I think that, I mean, I, I agree with you 100%. There are definitely times where it didn't make financial sense. It didn't make you know, it wasn't something that people understood. But what ultimately happened was I said, this has to happen. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it done. And it meant taking some shady internet loans sometimes. <laughs> it meant doing a lot of really interesting stuff that I don't recommend that other people do and probably was not good financial business. But, you know, we needed the cash because this had to get done because this order was going to ship on time. Whatever it is, right? You have to push through at the same time, I think that the message of just telling people to like hustle more is n is like slightly dangerous because people need to understand that as much as you push, you have to listen to yourself, listen to your body, take care of yourself, go home early, take a bath. You don't need to be working until three o'clock in the morning every night. There are going to be times of the year when, yes, you have to push, you have to work harder. There, but there has to be balance. And I, I do think that like work-life balance is this mystical thing that is also not really healthy to preach. But <laughs> you really have to listen to yourself and, and take care of yourself. I seriously neglected my health in the last two years. I ate for convenience. I did not exercise. And I've gained a lot of weight. I'm in the same boat. It's really hard. I totally agree with you. You have to do those things and take care of yourself because it will help the longevity of your company if you're a happier, healthier boss, for lack of a better term. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely, if you're getting sick left and right, right. it definitely is going to impact. I think that's something so great to think about is that balancing that, there is that mentality out there of just like, we'll just work harder, you know, and it's really difficult for people to hear that because if you are running yourself into the ground, it is so dangerous. You're so right. So if we think about the future of PF Candle Co., you're 20 people strong now. <laughs> are you Are you 40 people in a year? What What do you think is going to happen? Or what are you excited <laughs> about for the future? 
Okay, so I definitely am excited to continue growing, and we're kind of on a cusp of working smarter, not harder type of thing. Um, we have it's a really interesting thing that's happening in the city of Los Angeles is that our minimum wage is about to go up. So our minimum wage is about to go up to $15 an hour. And we're not that far off because PF minimum wage starts at 13 right now. So we're not too far off from that. But it's something that we're thinking about that if you're paying someone $15 an hour, what you're expecting out of them is so much more than if you're paying them 10. So we want to really start streamlining processes and making sure that we're growing people and providing them with a good living. So that's something that's exciting me. <laughs> um, I've been joking lately since I'm pregnant that I have to make the business really successful so my daughter can take it over one day. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we are really on the brink of, we've had this line, I think it's been really successful, but this is the first year where we've started to really go out and start chasing sales and start considering venues or streams that we weren't considering before. And we're trying to launch a new line next year, which has a lot of problems when you're trying to get it all into shape. We kind of, when you're small, the thing that you should so appreciate about being small if you're one person is you're like a jet ski. You can just maneuver and turn and you could just turn around and it would be great. But now when we're 20 people and we're like, systems are running, we're a little bit more like a cruise ship. So if you have a problem, <laughs> yeah, if you have a problem happen, you can see that problem coming, but it's going to take you several weeks to stop, turn around avert that problem or get it back in, you know, shape. And we've been able to kind of start predicting what's happening in the future. So we want to really continue doing that. As I said, it's like, there is pressure on me. Sometimes I feel pressure to make sure the business is still running well, because I got to pay people and I want them to have a good living. And I don't want to have to be in a situation where we would start decreasing and having to let people go. That would be that's like my worst fear. That's the, that's the stuff that keeps me up at night, you know? So it's always about growing and if not maybe the growth that we've had where we've grown kind of like five times over, but growing and then making sure that it's sustainable, you know? Sustainability is like the cornerstone of everything. And I think when you start to hire employees, it's terrifying. I mean, my first employee, I was like, this is her job and I have to keep paying her so that she can live her life and that you know it's that first hump is so much harder than the second or the third I'm sure but um it's really scary because you want to grow a business that that is lasting ultimately right sustainable and lasting and not just a flash in the pan where you grew up to 20 people and had to go down to eight that would be horrible yes and and, and you know but there but it happens to companies you know, it happens. And so I think that it's so great that you guys have the forethought to really look at all of these, you know, problems and um, developing a new line is exciting. Um, We're trying to do it and I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's also expensive. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's so it's so difficult because there's the vessel. Okay, this is candle specific, but there's the vessel. There's Guys, this the is candle hour. Welcome to candle hour. <laughs> if, you, if you're still listening at this point, you're a candle maker, let's be honest. It's not as easy as I would think. I'm like, how did I come out with this first line? I don't understand. Like, Because <laughs> now it's basically you're having to launch it in one drop. And not only do you have to make the product and get the product and have it be great, but you have to market that product then and figure out how to launch it and will our stores even buy it, you know? So we'll see. (laughs) Are you guys launching with entirely new fragrances also? Yeah. the, the The line would be basically a totally separate 
it'd be a new vessel and it'd be all new fragrances. So that's a lot of work because when we've kind of launched new products in the past, it's really kind of just an extension of our current line, but in a new form. So we did re diffusers and then we did really big candles. And it's been great to do that because it's like creating a new product, but not really because you've done the hard work of choosing the fragrance first, you know? I know. <laughs> <laughs> We had we had some people um, specifically like talking to some reps and they were like, well, so, you know, how, how are you going to grow? Uh, do you want to add diffusers? Do you want to add soaps and all that stuff? And and I think they were my default response was no, <laughs> I don't want to do that stuff. I just want to be a candle company. And um, that was not received very well. Because by larger industry standards, our line is still too small. We don't have enough SKUs to make reps excited. And, you know, that's a hard thing to take because I've heard the opposite from our retailers where more and more fragrances is just overwhelming, right? It's just more choices and it's it's difficult. So you're trying to balance getting the sales and, and making, you know, potentially getting with a larger distributor or a larger rep, but then your your core customers which are your retailers are telling you something different so you know you have to know ultimately you have to remind yourself that like you're the one that's steering the ship so you have to at your core you know know what the the reality you know really is and what what the long-term vision is for your company because you're the only one who can know the answer to that question I totally agree (laughs) So I have a couple rapid fire questions for the end. Let's do it. I'm totally stealing this idea from Grace Bonnie of Design Sponge, but they'll hopefully be the same every episode. So I think that'll be interesting. Who is the first person you go to for advice, business or otherwise? My husband, Tom. That's a good answer. <laughs> if you were starting your business from scratch today, what would you do differently or would you do anything differently? I think that I would have focused on just making candles earlier. Um, when I had a lot of different items that I was making, I think that it really drew my attention in a lot of different ways and narrowing it down to candles like, like you are, you know, um, it really allows you to be a master of that craft and it allows you to focus and make a really great product. Last one. What's more important dreams or plans? Oh my God. That's so hard. Um, Plans. I'm going to go with plans here because everyone has dreams, but not everyone has plans, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> that's just the truth. Is that harsh? I don't know. That's no, just that's the truth, so good. It's it's definitely I still have dreams. I have crazy dreams that I want to do for PF that will literally never work ever. And it's like I just know that the concrete are the things that work. The plans are the things that work. You have to you have to plan your dream, right? Definitely. Without the plans, nothing nothing really happens, you know? <laughs> I definitely had a few months where I had the vision for Simply Curated and I knew exactly how it was all going to play out. And in those two months, I did absolutely nothing and I sat around my house and my mom was about to kill me. <laughs> and I said, Mom, I know exactly what I need to do to scale this business, but I don't have any money. And she just looked at me and said, get a job. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I love your mom. She's hilarious. She is hilarious. I worked for a whole year as a nanny just to afford the designs that I had in my head a year, a year and a half before we launched the cocktail collection, which like you said, you know, you have your 2008 beginning date. Technically our beginning date was 2012. But if you look at the collections and the brand as it is now, really it was, you know, December, January, this, it was like December 2014. So really like January 2015 was when we launched, you know, wholesale and did our first trade show with the current line the way that it is. And so it's very two very different kind of start dates. But those first three years are still really important because I did have the plan for all of this. I didn't have the money to execute the plan. And so it just took time. You know, you, you can have one you can have either time or you can have money. If you happen to have a large sum of money, launching a business, it's it's going to be easier or rather it's going to be faster. 
the other thing is you always have the value of your time and you can put in that time, whether it's working for someone else and saving the money or just growing slower. Don't feel the pressure to, to do everything so fast, you know? Oh, I, I totally agree with that. I think that people, it's like I was saying earlier where they get, they feel like they get discouraged, you know? There's no shame in taking a long time to grow something because if you take a long time to grow something, there's a much higher chance that if you're still growing sustainably, obviously if you're just flatlining, it might not be the thing to work. But if you're growing sustainably over a long period of time, that's going to have – it's like you're building a pyramid. You know, That's going to have that great foundation and that great lasting power versus like like I always say is the fear is that you're shooting straight up and then – what if you don't have the base there to catch you, you know? Yeah, you have to, I mean, growing slowly, I love growing slowly. Like, you know, now do I want to meet certain goals and do I have other things that that mean we have to grow a little faster? Yeah, because we have employees and, and the bills still have to get paid, right? And payroll still has to get met. And then at the end of the day, I have to live off of something. Still super meager, but... um. But yeah, I think people really underestimate how much you learn about your company when you grow slowly because there are less people to see when you make mistakes, right? Less yeah. people saw our really ugly version one packaging um, because I, I didn't it. put it. Uh, the, <laughs> we're talking about the brown craft box. Yes, back in the well, day. you would you would like the brown craft look. That is your aesthetic. <laughs> it was not mine. Okay. Let's just say, though, your packaging now is so gorgeous, though. I mean, it's just like this whole luxurious candle. So the packaging now obviously is outstanding. But I'm like, don't put down your old packaging. <laughs> no, I think we and we could get compliments on it all the time. People would be like, I love your packaging. And I would just be like, "Ugh, I hate it. <laughs> but but what you what you realize is that audience there was much smaller, you know, when you fail or where you have to change your prices or where you have to ch- adjust for these little mistakes, right? When you're growing slowly, um, I think it's just better overall. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you, Kristen, so much for joining me on episode one. And I hope people realize that this is not going to be an entirely candle podcast. It just so happens that Our first episode was with Kristen, but I think it was really fitting. And I think we had a really awesome conversation. Um, So if people want to find out more about PF Candle Co., where should they go? All right, pfcandleco.com. Obviously, that's our website. And you can check us out on Instagram where we do share a lot of behind-the-scenes pictures and obviously new products and stuff like that. That's kind of our brainchild there. (laughs) Is it just PF Candle Co. or is it just On Instagram. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Kristen, so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I had such a good time. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Sarah Cooley. You can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Cooley or check me out on Instagram at Simply Curated. I'd love if you could subscribe to the show in iTunes so you never miss an episode. And for more details about the podcast, including show notes and links from today's show, check out frommakertomanufacturing.com. Thank you so much, guys, and I can't wait for the next episode. Bye.